Welcome to Build Relationships, Break Poverty, a podcast hosted by Children's Hope Chest. This podcast challenges the Western perception of international poverty by elevating the voices of local leaders each month. Our desire to share stories of people around the globe who work tirelessly to see vulnerable communities transformed. We believe that building two-way relationships will break the cycle of poverty. My name is Will Crooks. As part of the advancement team for nearly 14 years, I have the privilege to connect churches and businesses to Children's Hope Chest. Today, we continue our series called Fueling the Future, where we talk about empowering tomorrow's leaders by investing into today's teens and young adults. Today, very, very special guests, Jen and Dylan DeBrain. The DeBrains have been partners with Hope Chest for over a decade. They have three care points, Bukadea, Ogaloi, and Ongongaja, all in Uganda. Nearly 450 long-term sponsors. I'm telling you, this family, this partnership has been uh, an absolute gift for, for so many, uh, including your family. So I think the first the obvious question as we welcome Dylan and Jen is, what is your favorite care point? <laughs> <laughs> That's like asking what your favorite child is, right? Mm-hmm. You love them Absolutely. all as much, just differently. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We love them all, but... Mm-hmm. They've all got uh, different stories, right? And a lot of sentiment that you carry over the years. I think, I don't know, for me, Ogolo is always special because it was the first. And I remember pulling into Ogloy after several days of touring Uganda. We had actually toured Zambia before that. And uh, we'd gone to about eight or nine different care points. And when we drove through that bush into Ogoloy for the first time, there was just, uh, I looked across at my business partner and it was like, a, yeah, this is the one kind of moment. So that'll always stick with me. What about you? Favorite? <laughs> I Who's mean, your favorite child? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I have to say too. Well, honestly, talking about this topic of building relationships, Ogoloi was awesome, was our first care point, and so like these students, we know them all by name, by face. <clears throat> like you don't have to go and like, what's your name again? What's what are you doing? Like it's it's really going home to family because we've built these like strong relationships with the kids. So we always Ogoloi is our last one always because it's like it's not work. It's just you go and you spend time with your family and your kids. Yeah, for sure. And we will actually want us to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We will totally get into it. If you ask us questions, we're going to answer them. The relation. That's right. That's exactly right. So tell us a little bit more about the story. Uh, you talk about uh, your business partner and you talk about uh, your family and how did it all kind of start? What was the seed that was planted that said, let's go do something? And then you found yourself in Zambia, Uganda, and a decade later, here you are. What's the story? Well, I guess it starts with, you know, decades of uh, a decade and some change of Jen and I being involved in ministry in different capacities, doing a lot of youth ministry and stuff. And uh, but everything within the walls of our church and just reaching a point where we really felt a desire to go and do something impactful outside of the walls. And so we tried to do, you know, we we shopped around for a bunch of different ideas and we explored different stuff and we were just motivated. Yeah. I, I think as Joe, my business partner and I started to dream and brainstorm a little bit as well. 
uh, we just started to think about what it would be like to involve our organization. Uh, we own some real estate brokerages, and uh, we wanted to involve our organization as a as a way to go and make a meaningful impact in the world, but also inspire and impact the people within our teams to see that you can be a part of making a change. You didn't need an institution or an organization or even your church to be at the center of that. You could go be the hands and feet. So Joe and I started exploring and we we partnered with a bunch of different smaller organizations. I, I just think of it as like fishing. We were out fishing just to see if we could get a bite and trying to figure out what the right match was. So there were some hits and misses there, I'll be honest. We went to a couple of different spots in Africa to find the right idea. And we were naive uh, as well. We didn't know what we didn't know. So we had this glamorous idea of how we were going to fly into the most you know, distraught, devastated place in the world with people that just needed handouts, I guess. And uh, so there was some humbling along the way. Anyway, long story short, about a year and a half into that journey, we uh, had re-read about Hope Chest, but it sounded like the model was more than we could bite off. Like the idea of taking on a whole care point, it seemed like it was for churches to do. And we were just, you know, a couple of yahoos trying to make an impact. But anyway, after some humbling experiences, we were like, well, let's check out this Hope Chest crew. And we jumped on a plane and spoke with some folks, flew, flew out to Uganda and uh, toured a whole bunch of sites. And so... Um, yeah, the, the story from there is that we, we found Ogoloi, which was bite-sized. It was 120 kids, middle of nowhere. It met all of our sort of romantic ideas of what we were looking for, but it also seemed like we could possibly maybe get 120 sponsors. So Joe and I came back and Jen and I got busy as soon as I returned. And, uh, yeah, the story quickly is that... Within two months, three months, we within one month, she says, within a month, we had found 120 sponsors. That was amazing. And so what we, we did was we had a couple of conversations with you guys and said, well, how can we do just a little bit more, but not take on you know, all the large infrastructure needs that and a whole other care point would require? And we had seen a second care point on our initial vision trip in Bucadea that already had the land acquired and already had the facility, some of the facilities built, but it had like 250 kids. So we were like, there's no way we could take this one on. But at this point we were like, well, maybe we could at least find 30, 40, 50 more sponsors for Bukadea. We took a risk. And I, I, mean, I remember that day very clearly pulling off to the side of the road, speaking with at that time, Laura and saying, Laura, I think we're going to try this. And I think it was another two, three months, and we had managed to find sponsors for pretty much all of Bocadea. I mean, give or take some kids. There was always rotation. And, and so that was about a year into our journey. Is that about right? Took, I took my first trip in December. So Dylan went in June of 2010, and then in December of 2010 <laughs> was our first time we brought a team to meet all these students. So I think we we're about halfway sponsored in Bocadea at that point. When we brought our first trip across. Yeah. And then, you know, a <clears throat> couple years in was when we took our final, I don't know, stretch. And I believe you were actually the one, Will, that suggested uh, the location at the ends of the earth. Which ends of the earth. Yeah. You had gone and seen that location before it was launched. And uh, I think your words to us was something like, we're not sure that there's a lot of people 
I don't know if the word was crazy or stupid enough <laughs> to take on a care point that far out, but uh, no, it was, um, it was perfect because we went out and we saw Ogongaja and Ogongaja had crazy needs. Um, it's just a very, very hard hit location and it's still a struggle out there, but that was our third. Um, Jen knows all the dates perfectly because she's got a memory that's crazy, but I think that's the story in a nutshell. Yeah, in, but you all do it a little bit different. You, you you talk about these different organizations and things like that. In a way, you become an organization with these three care points. And where did the birth of Orphans of Tesso come from, Jen? And, you know, that story. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I'm guessing it's just that we started to have these three groups of, of care points and we didn't know what to call them. And we're in the Tesso region of Uganda. So we kind of just became this group. Orphans of Tesso became a thing. And Dylan talks about finding sponsors. Uh, right now, we're currently at nearly 450. So over the years, you're talking 600, 700 sponsors, you know, with attrition and then refilling and everything. Where do you find them? <laughs> well, our journey started with fully on Facebook. So I think Facebook was kind of just beginning and the social, like the finding of sponsors and giving to nonprofits was a new thing on Facebook. So it was super easy. You just post it and tons of people responded and they're like, Hey, we want to sponsor a kid. But like, sweet people from all around the world started wanting to sponsor kids. And Dylan would tell the story really well. Like you'd go on a trip and you would tell the story of the specific children. Um, but it's getting a lot harder now. Like Facebook is not an easy way to find sponsors anymore. So now it's more networking. You know, like you talk to your sponsors who've been sponsoring, who have, uh, experience the relationship like hey do you have any friends and family who might be willing to sponsor this kid so it's now it's more of this like organic networking because social media is just a lot harder to find sponsors that way now i think the whole facebook thing makes it sound easier than it really was i if i if i think back to i don't know the success formula for what did work we did know a lot of people we had been involved in a lot of different churches we we owned a couple of different organizations our our, our real estate firms and we just, we knew a lot of people and that was a good starting point. We've seen a lot of people that know a lot of people try and fail as well. So I feel like the second part of it that really worked for us was we just committed early on to being there. So we jumped on a plane every six months and that was a big commitment, but every six months, you know, every December and every summer, we were out at the care points and we just told the story you know we interviewed a lot of kids we learned their stories and then we would come back and share that information with people it was the stories it's not just the stories i think it was people in, in the us i mean people in our circles they want to help they, and they, they actually have access and they want to give i think most of us are so burnt out on charities and nonprofits that we feel either at arm's length from it's just giving money to some big 501c3 um, or we don't know who we can trust. So I think being in country and the fact that people knew us and they were like, wow, these are people actually doing the work. We know we, we can trust these people. We see the stories. I think it just gave people confidence to be able to sponsor kids and know um, that it was going somewhere meaningful. So being in country was huge. Yeah, I like that. Um, that's good. Jen, were you going to say something else? Yeah, and I think... Each time we brought a new group of people to Uganda, <clears throat> excuse me, to meet the kids, then they, while, while they were in country and when they came back, then they would get all of their friends and family also to sponsor a kid. So it's like going, seeing, and they're like, oh yeah, this is 
making a huge impact. This is truly a worthwhile investment in my money. So then they would come back and tell all their friends and family. That was yeah. Fun. Yeah. And just how that expands, multiplies the kind of the snowball effect, but it's all done through relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you were talking about a couple of yahoos just going out, seeing if we can make a difference. Uh, and then you look back 10 years and, you, and you're still doing it, obviously making a huge difference. What still a couple you, of yahoos. Right. For a couple of yahoos. What do you yahoos get out of it? This is, this is not just something you do for an hour a week. This is something that you've invested your life into. I think we've gotten a lot of amazing relationships with all of these students. Like they truly, every time we go and we truly feel like these are our, our children. Like we even chose personally to only have two children because we wanted to start this process of investing in these children and building relationships with them. So like we feel like we have 650 children in Uganda who are now a part of our family. That's so many ways I could answer that question. I don't know where to start, right? Like, <clears throat> I think we're all looking for more than just to wake up and live. And so it's been a great mission. It's been an amazing mission for us. I mean, it's unified our marriage. It's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been, I think everyone's got to pick something, a hill to go climb. And if you're going to go climb a hill, it might as well be one that makes an impact in the world. And so this has been that hill for quite some time, which is interesting because at some point this hill shifts, right? As we think about sustainability and moving on and because it's been, you said a decade, it's been 12, 13 years now, but no, it's been super impactful. And then you mentioned kids. I'm not sure if you want to go there. Yeah, let's do that. Let's expand it out. Yeah. I mean, our, our kids started traveling with us to Uganda when they were seven. Yeah. Um, we took our eldest when he was seven. We took our youngest when he was seven. And they've gone pretty much every year uh, through where we are today, 17 and 15. So, you know, they not only got to go see what mom and dad were doing, they got to sponsor kids along the way out of their allowances. They got to be a part of watching our family invest into something meaningful this entire period of time. And so I think of them growing up, not just the time that they were involved, I think their entire worldview was shaped with this as a filter. Uh, other kids are thinking about soccer and whatever, and our kids were going to school thinking, oh, wow, like the world's got a lot of different situations going on, and there's uh, people in need, and we're, we're trying to be a part of that solution. So I think our kids have been shaped heavily by this, um, and they've turned out mostly decent, <laughs> 17 and 15. Our oldest son was saying the other day, he's like, yeah, when I was like, six when we started he's like well i didn't understand if they needed water why don't we just buy them sinks if they don't have food, just get them a refrigerator <laughs> that's beautiful isn't that that's perfect that's perfect and i think it leads into a little bit of a deeper dive is you you talk about some of the mistakes that we make and i'm, I'm guilty of them too you know as i said i've been with hope chess for 14 years and i can I can remember the early days and it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But at the, but the end of the day, how would you answer the idea of how your thoughts and concepts of poverty have changed over the years? Well, I was so grateful when we first met you guys. One of the first things you did was make us read uh, When Helping Hurts. And that was one of the first frameworks for rethinking everything. But the truth is, even after reading When Helping Hurts, 
we showed up. I mean, it was like a, it was a book and it made sense, but we still showed up very much with, uh, man, I want to pick my words carefully because we were well-intentioned. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nothing malicious or selfish or self-indulgent about what we were doing. And yet when I think about how we showed up and so, for example, we really wanted the most impoverished place because there was a romantic picture in our mind of what helping looked like. So when someone literally hadn't eaten in a week, then that's the most impactful place you could be. Um, And then, you know, we would show up and there's a lot of embarrassing things. We would show up with bags and bags of clothing and hand out clothing and we would um, but it was it was the learning curve of starting with uh, people are lacking possessions, people are lacking material goods, people are lacking the things that we have. And so you, you start with wanting to fill those needs. And then as you go along that journey, you start to realize, well, yeah, I mean, there's a root to that problem. There's a source of that. And, and so then, you know, the model in Hope just obviously is start with the kids, vulnerable and, and orphan children in the community. And so, you know, schooling, food, healthcare, stuff like that, you start to see that have an impact and spread into the community as the burden of some of these kids on uncles, aunts, caregivers, caretakers is taken off of the community and onto the care point. But, you know, as you start to as you start to get involved in, in the more tricky stuff, in income generation projects, dealing with community issues, you know, as you watch the leaders, the staff, the staff in, in Hope Chest at the care points start to solve some of the social problems going on in the communities, even just educating the people on the ground there about um, the joy of caring for these kids rather than viewing them as a burden. Those are, those are long systemic problems that take a mindset it takes a big commitment yeah it's a mindset shift that has to happen and you know <clears throat> where we are today when you really are passionately focused on sustainability like how can you enact change and infrastructure and systems on the ground such that if you no longer show up there's going to be a continuation of momentum um, of change into the future, it, it becomes daunting, actually, because you start to realize that the problem isn't that people are hungry. The problem is that there's a massive system and no one built it intentionally. And you can blame colonialism and you can blame all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you've got corrupt governments, you've got systems and cycles of poverty, you've got mindset problems where people can't see their way out of the situation that they're in. And then you've even got the problem of the breakdown of our, frankly, the breakdown of the poverty alleviation system. I mean, a, a lot of well-intentioned Westerners showing up and engaging in well-intentioned, loving acts that frankly are causing as much problem as they are helping. So it's been an evolution. It's been very humbling, right? Because we do look back and we're a little embarrassed on some of the things we did early. But I also don't know that there's another way to learn this. I think much of life's like this. You got to jump in and bump your shins a little bit and then learn from your mistakes. But you, you got to be committed over the long haul to the journey of growth and development, not just of them, but of, of yourself. So I don't know, what would you add to that? Like, Yeah, poverty in terms of how it's evolved in my own mind over the years. Um, 
you know, is very similar to that. And you do, you have the things like when helping hurts and poverty cure, and you have some great resources, but when it comes to systematic things, Tim Wise would say there are no accidents. There, there is precedent of why these things, why poverty exists in those ways. And the idea of poverty alleviation as a way even to keep those in power in power. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, comp- it's complex to say the very least. And the evolution of human connectivity for me, you know, where Lilla Watson would say, hey, if you've come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if your liberation is bound to mine, then let's walk together because I see poverty in a whole different way now through a lens of, my God, I'm in poverty. Poverty has very little to do with material um, uh, for, for, for me in, in my evolution of things. And when you have a poverty of relationship, when you have a poverty of health, when you have a poverty uh, of, of mental capacity, when you have a poverty of, of, of experience even, to even change your mindset because you don't know anything else. It's quite remarkable. And you all have done an amazing job expanding your minds, the minds of your sponsors, but also the minds of hundreds and thousands of children. Yeah, Jen, how about for you? How has the idea of poverty changed for you over the years with these relationships, as you say? I just remember one day spending the day in Angangaja, like going into the homes, like seeing this like extreme poverty and coming back for dinner, super sad, but talking to our cook about it, Immaculate. And she just, I remember her saying, she's like, Jen, the one thing you can give these children that nobody can ever take away is education. So at that point, I like made the decision. I'm like, I will focus on education, like providing these kids with whatever form of education they want as far as they can go, because that's the one thing, like you can give them a goat, their dad may steal it, go sell it for alcohol. It's done, right? But if you give them education, that's something that will forever be with them, that they can make an impact in their lives forever. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And what would you say to somebody that says, hey, just take my $2,500 to $3,000 and, and give it to the kids versus traveling and being there? Well, we'll take either. <laughs> first of all that's right it's, it can be a, an and not an or <clears throat> and and if i'm perfectly honest <clears throat> excuse me sometimes that is the better solution um i think some people should travel and see and expand their horizons and uh and when they do they come back and they become a conduit for more expansion and growth because they've seen and they understand yeah, for some that's a stretch, and some people it's a, it's a it's a privilege for them to be able to give us that three thousand dollars to invest. So I know that's not maybe the perfect answer, but over the years that's what we've learned. Um, some people travel, they see it, they come back, and life just goes on. Um, and I don't know, <clears throat> that three thousand dollars could have been invested very very well in the education fund and other opportunities to further growth. So I think we've got to not be married to one or the other. And I'm super grateful for people who just have the gift of wanting to give us their money. Um, But traveling has been immensely impactful for us and for everyone that's joined us over the years. And so I think that's, uh, I don't know, we've twisted a lot of people's arms over the years to come with us and it's, it's paid off. I remember, I mean, 
over the years, we've asked the staff in, in Uganda that too. We're like, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to come, spend the money to come and spend the time or to give the money? And they said, come. Like, you need to come because you need to build the relationships with the children. Like, you coming all the way across the country, all the way across the world and spending time with them increases their dignity, increases their value. Like, they're like, I feel valued because these people came all the way across here to spend time with me. I know they love me. I'm going to keep working hard in school. I'm going to keep doing all the things I need to do because these people are love me and they want to come spend time with me. Yeah. You cannot overstate like our sponsors have never understood. And I think we're just still coming to terms with the extent to which these kids dream and long and pray to meet their sponsors. And for a lot of us, I hate to admit it, it's, it can be a kind of a casual thing. Like, okay, I'll give the money every month and I'll maybe put this kid's face on my fridge. And, and again, we're grateful for everyone that sponsors like that. But man, you got to understand that is not how it works in the opposite direction, right? These kids are just blown away that there is someone, a family, an individual on the other side of the world that was willing to make this sacrifice for them. And they literally think and pray and, uh, you know, like hope to meet you. And they think about your personal stories and it's a beautiful thing. And so, yeah, I guess there's something huge to be said for the commitment of jumping on a plane, going over and meeting those kids. That's a life-changing event for a lot of them. And the kids who have met their sponsors and you go back the next year, I swear about this one boy, he's like, as I go to bed every night, I like think of my sponsor's laugh. Like I dream of that. Like that's what helps me fall asleep. It's, it's very, it's very rich. It's very rich. There's, there's no doubt. How would you say your trips have evolved from when you were taking them 12 years ago to today? Kind of maybe the vision behind why you go from maybe rescue of, hey, we're going to see this, we're going to hand out this to today. It's, you know, where, where Jen was talking about, it's going to see family. Yeah, that element's changed for sure. I mean, the one big change then is, is obviously it started with getting sponsors. So when we were on the ground, so much of what we were doing early on was like profiling kids and taking photos and learning stories. It was like a it was like a massive advertising campaign. It sounds terrible to say, but it's what we had to do, right? We had to learn the kids' stories so that we could tell the kids' stories so we could get people to sponsor them. Um, once we reached higher sponsorship levels, um, yeah, we were able to spend less time like a production and more time. Now, there was always a lot of play. There was always a lot of fun. There was always a lot of spending time with them. But yeah, our, our, our capacity now to go back and be with our friends. I mean, now it's like, hey, it's been six months or a year since we've seen these kids. You know how fast kids grow up, right? So you're bumping into kids that you've watched grow up now for 12 years. And, and, and some of these young girls are, are 20, 22 now, and they're showing up with their, their infant. And so, yeah, it's a journey of connection over such a long period of time. But the other thing that's changed is you know, we're on the ground now more to learn about what progress they've made on a whole bunch of the income generating projects, on some of the, you know, community development initiatives that they're all working on. And when I say they're working on, I mean, we have development plans at Hope Chest. And so we have some insight into what they're working on. 
but also the work's being done on the ground, right? And so you, you show up every six to 12 months and massive things have gone on on the ground. And so a big part of our trips today is showing up and just being wowed um, by how much uh, progress they're making <clears throat> in various, and then learning about these great initiatives, which we can then come back and raise some support for. So whether that's like beehives where they're manufacturing honey or the soap development projects or the trade schools that are going on and working so well now in Ogoloi and, and Bukadia, it's like we've done the initial work and now this thing's in motion and we get to come back and celebrate and see all the success that's gone on and come back to tell the story, to continue to encourage everyone and raise more support. The other big one would be the graduation ceremonies. Why don't you touch that? Each care point. Did we do one, two care points last year? So now we spend a lot of our time, our kids are all getting to the point where they're starting to graduate. So we get to go celebrate with them their graduation. So we show up and there's a full day festival of marching bands and celebration and singing and dancing and then getting to hear the children telling their stories of their stories of success of where they've come from and how they've come uh, so far to graduate and go make a difference in the world themselves. This is not like an American graduation. This is uh, this is kids that had no hope, right? Country with 25% of all children make it to secondary school. And now you've got these kids that were orphaned. There was no way they were going anywhere in this community. And here they've been a part of this program now for 10 years and they're graduating with either like a diploma or they're graduating secondary. So some of them are moving on to university, which is like just, it's a unicorn. It's unheard of. It's not a real thing, right? Yeah, mind blown. Um, and then others, they're graduating with trade skills that they've been working on, whether it's sewing or whatever it might be. And um, yeah, the, the, again, going and celebrating with them in these graduation ceremonies, this is truly a community event. The entire community, it's an all day celebration of these children and where they've landed. And it's, it's just, it's the most, it's very beautiful and it's very sincere because it's not just about them graduating and moving on to the next chapter. It's, it's the celebration of change and transformation and hope that they now see that was just an idea 12, 15 years ago, probably that they didn't even believe. I mean, it was just another organization showing up, making promises about change and hope. But today they're actually celebrating that transformation in their children. And so that's an incredible thing to go back now every year and be a part of. I think also one thing that's changed a lot when we first showed up, the children were, you know, five to 10 years old. So there's a lot of duck, duck, goose running around playing games, painting faces. And now honestly, we spent the kids are just older and they just want to sit and talk to you. So we'll just sit for hours under the mango tree. I'll just go from group to group. Like, okay, tell me about your life. We'll sit and talk, move on to the next group. Um, so it's a lot of just spending time talking to them, hearing their dreams, hearing their struggles. I asked one boy the other day while we were there, I was like, Hey, how's your day been? What's your highlight? He's like, I just spent an hour with uncle Dylan and he taught me this, 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 like, so they like want to learn about business strategy. They want to learn about any, like they really want to learn anything they can and they hold on to that information and actually make a difference in their lives because this little negative information that uncle Dylan gave them under the mango tree. That's it. I love that from duck, duck, deuce to just real conversations. And 
that's part of and in the graduation ceremonies this this whole series that we're doing we're fueling the future that's what it is uh about is um you know really being a catalyst for hope where uh, again there was in a way hopelessness uh and seeing on the faces of these young adults as they do graduate as they do succeed as they're breaking um, you know, they're, they're, this is going to go on for generations. You talk about sustainability. And I think that's what this whole series is about, um, is this is why we stay in it. This is why we stay engaged. And so what would you say, you know, because you are in leadership, you probably get the question a lot of how long does this sponsorship last kind of thing? And when there isn't, maybe they haven't traveled uh, and built that relationship. Um, what what keeps what keeps your sponsors engaged then for all these years? Because that's in the back of everyone's mind. How long am I doing this? The easy answer is Jen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, what I tell sponsors is we want to get our children to as much education as possible. So there's no age cut off. We're not like, oh, you hit 25, you're done out of the program. Now it's like, because the students are a little bit behind in school. They aren't in our, like, once you hit 18, everyone graduates high school. Like everyone's kind of varying in ages. And, but my, my goal is to allow them advance in education as far as possible. So once, and I think sponsors are so invested in their students, they truly want them to succeed as well. So once they hit technical school or university, they want to help them continue and be able to finish their degree, whatever they want to do. Yeah, but there's a breakdown of understanding, right? Because, you know, in our world, we go to school until we're 18 and then we kind of move on and we either go to university or we don't. But these kids, some of them are 22 and they're still in, you know, like P6 or S1, which would be like junior high equivalent, right? So I think a lot of sponsors struggle to under. It's not that they struggle. It's that the burden is on us to make sure that they understand. Yeah, that that timeline and our timeline don't necessarily match. And just because the children are a little bit older, because they had a really slow start, doesn't mean that they should. Yeah, you don't graduate when you're 18, I guess, is, is the big mind shift that has to happen. You graduate when you've, so long as they're continuing to progress and work their way through the system, whether it's towards a trade that they can graduate with or continue through school. Um, Keeping our sponsors invested means helping them understand that, uh, yeah, that timeline needs to stretch a little further. And I think we've been successful at that. Our sponsors are sticking with it. And like Jen said, it's because they are vested in these kids and they've been watching these kids' photos change every six to 12 months now for a long time. But that was a, was a, a mindset shift for me too, I think is you get to this point and, you know, you started with all these beautiful, cute little six, seven, eight-year-olds and everybody wants to sponsor these cute little six and seven-year-olds. But now like I'm getting these photos back and I'm like, okay, this is like a 22-year-old. Am I still supposed to be sponsoring this kid? And yeah, I think the answer is yes. I, I think that we need to continue to support these kids to the point that they can successfully graduate, whether that means graduate from school or graduate with a trade so that we, yeah, it's, it's about seeing the journey through. 
Yeah, that that I that was a journey for us, I think, to understand. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Jen, and education is such a key for you too, uh, in terms of it's not just, oh, that's the next thing on the development plan because they are older, it's more expensive to go to school. You see that is the fuel to break a lot of the poverty cycle. Yeah, and I've noticed like a lot of the kids who have been the most committed to their education, who've succeeded the most, they're going to take the longest because they're going to make it all the way to senior five, senior Mm -hmm. six. And then university. So those sponsors might feel like, oh, I've been sponsoring this kid forever. But it's because they've actually been the most successful and they've been the most committed to their education and stuck with their dreams. Whereas a lot of kids like get to 17, 18. I'm like, oh, I'll just do tailoring, be done, go work, you know, which is awesome. Like lots of people need to do that. Mm-hmm. But the kids who are the most, even most committed to their education will take the longest. And it gets more and more expensive. <clears throat> I mean, what we've learned is over the years, so much of our operating budget at these care points is going towards secondary school. And when everyone's in primary school, it's food and basic needs in school. Uh, when you, as your care points develop and mature, uh, redirecting funds towards these higher education needs, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balancing act because that requires a significant amount of money, which is where our education fund and additional fundraising has been very, very helpful to help carry that cost. But it's very different today than it was 10 years ago, right? Totally different. Totally different. Well, let's talk about sustainability. I think that each group of students who graduate from the CarePoint, so as they graduate, we provide them with all these startup tools to start new successful businesses, whether it's tailoring, mechanic, carpentry, they come back to their communities and they're bringing these new skills into their communities, teaching how to do different um, farming techniques, different ways to raise animals in order to be more successful, how to um, do agriculture in a better way. So it's pretty fun to watch them come back into their communities and start making a sustainable difference. Even And then they also are very tight families. So they come back and they start paying the, the school fees for their siblings and helping build a new like, permanent home for their families. And so it's kind of fun to watch that them come back and give back. That's an incredible point, right? And when you talk about fueling the future, this idea of legacy or alumni or paying it forward, that's a cultural thing. It's, it's not, I'm going to break free and, and, and be, be gone forever. There is an idea of how do, how do I help now? I've been helped. We have an alumni group and, Ogilvy that formed on their own. And now they actually come this last semester, they came back and they provided all of the sanitary pads for the students going into secondary school. And they're like, oh, let's buy them um, all the school supplies they need. So they're taking their money that they're making. They know what these kids have gone through and the struggles they had. They're like, hey, how can we give back to our fellows, friends and students? And so it's pretty cool watching that. I think I was actually cynical about that idea early on because you talk to a lot of these kids and they'd be like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. I want to be this so that I can go. And then I want to help my community. And maybe in the back of my mind, there was a little voice that was like, yeah, we'll see. You'll probably go off and do what we would do, which is just forget your community. And over the years we've seen, we've seen kids, uh, young adults graduate and they are now more successful. And yeah, most of them do come back to their, because it's like you said, it's cultural, right? It's a, a deeper tribal connection to your people. And so seeing them come back and be a part of the solution in the next chapter is really, really cool to see. 
It really is. It really is. And there's a number of the CarePoint children that are now on staff with yeah. Hope Chest and and they're running care points and you're like, what is going on here? Uh, and it's and it's fantastic. This is the idea of fueling the future. So maybe we finish the conversation with, you know, what's what's something that you've heard maybe that your boys have said, that your spouse have said, that a sponsor has said, that a child has said that's this is why we do it. Um, you know, what what's what's the What's the catalyst, you know, for you guys? What do you love to hear? That's a tricky question. Well, I don't know if it's a specific thing that someone has ever said, but every, like, when I go and I watch these graduations, well, I think maybe, so maybe on Gongo Jug graduation, I remember one of the staff or community members, someone getting up and talking to the community. They're like, these students did not have the opportunity to have this op- like did not have the option for this opportunity like it was not there and now they are graduating and have the tools that nobody in the community can afford like even the ones who didn't weren't on our program they're going to be they're the leaders they're making change in their community so it's to know like we're like the work that we're doing and the money that people are giving the investment is truly changing these communities so that is what fuels me to keep going. It's hard work continuing to come back and ask for more money year after year after year. But every time I go and see the true impact it's making, I'm like, okay, let's keep going. Yeah, I can't think of one example either, but my response is similar. And I'll be transparent <clears throat> over 12, 13 years, you do, you do lose energy and momentum sometimes back here and life gets busy and things move on. But there's never been a time that we've gone back and landed and then showed up at those care points that the overwhelming reaction and response, the love, the embrace, but but just the gratitude. Um, yeah, you just get reminded every single time that it's worth it and that the the impact's real and that they, again, these these people love us and they love their sponsors. And so, yeah, it's, um, you can't, yeah, you can't stop <laughs> because it's, it's real. And it, it has made, you know, it's such a struggle because <clears throat> it's not perfect. You know, you go back and there's always problems. There's problems with staff. There's problems. There is no version of sustainability that's going to produce some, you know, utopian outcome where all of a sudden, there isn't a bunch of crap going on in their part of the world. There's crap going on in this part of the world. Like life is messy. We have our own problems in the brain household. So, um, you know, it's not perfect. There's no ideal outcome, but oh my gosh, the difference today in these three locations compared to where they were when we started um, is massive. And so every time you show up, they remind you of that. And that's, I think, what keeps us going. Yeah, for sure. Same for me. Uh, whether it's leading teams showing up, it's it's a great reminder of why we get to do this. And uh, I think the note that I took, that I, I think I want to write on the wall, it's a journey of connection uh, is, is one of the things that you said, Dylan, that really resonates. It's a journey of connection. I know that anyone that's listened today is been given some hope and I think has been inspired. So thank you so much 
for listening to the podcast today, Children's Hope Chest, Build Relationships, Break Poverty. And thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Jen, for joining us. You can follow Hope Chest on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Thank you.